Hey, Adam Smolcom here, lead pastor of Vive Church. Welcome to our podcast. I pray that God will speak to you through the message today and that a greater level of faith would be unlocked in your life. God bless. Today, I wanna do something that may be a little bit different. I am gonna do some teaching, but I wanna do some praying. We really haven't, we've been kind of setting a framework and a background and a story so that we can get to this week where we can actually do some prayer. We can get practical with this teaching that we've been under. So why don't you grab your Bible out? Let's set the atmosphere, Ephesians. Let's turn there, Ephesians chapter six. Some of you, as soon as I said that already, automatically know exactly where I'm taking this. Ephesians chapter six. And uh, let's go ahead and read from verse 10. It says a final word. Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on all of God's armour so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, Put on every piece of God's armour so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground. Putting on the belt of truth and the body armour of God's righteousness for shoes. Put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you'll be ready, sorry, fully, uh, be fully prepared in addition to all of these. Hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil and put on salvation as your helmet. Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. As I mentioned for our fourth installment in this series, we're gonna be talking about spiritual warfare. We're gonna be engaging in battle today. We're gonna be learning some strategies. We're gonna be identifying some schemes. And ultimately, we're gonna lean into a direction from God on how do we as believers appropriately engage in spiritual warfare. I hope you're not ready to leave yet. I hope you're ready to learn some things today. So I want you to do something. If you are ready for the Word of God, convince four or five people around you that you're ready and ask them, are you ready? Go for it, go for it, go for it. Before you take your seat, ask them, are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Amazing. So I don't know what your buddies are into. I got a buddy that's into, he does paintball. Um, Like, professionally paintball. Like, I mean, anybody can do paintball, but he does it as a legit competitive sport. Like he's mad about this stuff. And it's funny because I remember when we first did paintball together, I think it was for my, uh, like just before my wedding, we just did paintball. And uh, I didn't know that there was an actual like event, like an Olympics for paintball. Uh, They have competitions and people are serious about this. And, And it's fascinating because we play paintball completely different. When I go and play paintball, I'm conserving the, the paintball pellets, because they're expensive. You know what I mean? Like every tube you have to pay for. So why am I going to just go and waste paintballs? I, like every paintball is going to hit somebody. That's my goal. Like if I'm there to hit people with paintballs, every single one of them, I don't want one to hit against a tree. I don't want one to hit against a wall. I want it to hit them right in the back of the neck. That's what I want to do as they run in fear. <laughs> My buddy, though, he, we, we were playing uh, this one time and it was a completely different like, game. He, he came in and he said, so we're going to be tactical. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> I thought it was survival. That's what I was playing, hiding behind things and just, just shooting now and then. But he's like, no, no, we're going to get tactical. He, he's using words like terms like we're going to lay down cover fire. I'm like, cool, let's do that. 
And on my paintball gun, which was rented, is like a little cap on top. So you put the paintballs in and you close the cap so none of them spill out. One time they spill that, I'm just there in the middle of the game. Paintballs zinging, I'm just putting them back in. And they're like, don't do that, they'll get wet and clog the gun. But I'm like, man, they are expensive things. I was putting them back in. He doesn't even have a cap. He literally is just like dumping paintballs. He's got like a belt with all these paintball canisters. But when he runs out, like from the moment he had this strategy, he's run out and he, like I, I fire like this, he's going like that. Just like laying them off. Whoa. I'm like, yo. And he's laying down a cover fire, just like in the midst of like things. He's laying down cover fire, unbuckling paintballs, replenishing the, the holster and just keep going. I just followed him. You know what I mean? I'm just running in like this beautiful cocoon of fire. And uh, we played differently. We played different. The term that got me though is we're going to get tactical. 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 That, that's what I want to do today with spiritual warfare. I want us to get tactical. Because we, we won when we got tactical. I want to make sure that as we, as a church, begin to engage with spiritual warfare and spiritual things, that we take a, what I would call, and the Bible displays as a tactical approach. Now, as I mentioned earlier, my, my plan, I have intentionally designed today to try and preach short and pray long. I didn't succeed so well in the first service. However, I do want to pray today. I want to get practical. I want to, I want to take the, the teaching that we've been going under so then we can get to a moment in the middle of this series where we can actually do business with God so that we can approach the rest of this series from a different perspective so that we can ultimately get fully free. And I'm going to present that moment to you today. So I'm going to ask, would you utilize the moment? Don't hesitate. When I present the opportunity for you to come and get your freedom, don't sit there thinking, well, I've been a Christian a long time. What are people going to think about me? Who cares when it comes to your freedom? <laughs> get what belongs to you. But I do want to do some teaching first. And, and really over the past few weeks, especially with regards to I would say our focus on angels and, and our focus on demons. We began by pretty much busting some common myths and misconceptions around those topics. So I kind of want to take the same approach today. And, and let's begin by busting some myths around spiritual warfare. Because I found that the way you approach spiritual warfare will have been strongly characterized by the particular church setting that you grow up in or lack thereof. <laughs> you know, some people here are gonna have grown up in a pretty wild and free and dramatic church setting when it comes to, you know, shadabarandas and pulling people out of the grave. And, and, and then you've got some people who that wasn't even talked about. So I wanna kind of make sure we can all approach it from a biblical perspective that we could weigh up what we know against the Word of God and together maybe we could actually have some action steps not to disengage from spiritual warfare but to engage at a greater level than ever before. So for starters, let's bust some myths. The first thing I wanna bust, the first myth is that spiritual warfare is demonic deliverance only. <laughs> it is demonic deliverance. However, it's also so much more than just what we would categorise or, or picture as demonic deliverance. You see, while well, 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 the process, spiritual warfare, by which we cast out demons is most certainly a major element in the battle for somebody's soul, spiritual warfare also includes reclaiming identity, seeking forgiveness, extending authority, and really other natural or even seemingly worldly things that have a deeply spiritual effect like your daily disciplines. In other words, while spiritual warfare is most often seen as a boisterous rebuking of demons, it actually includes 
uh, almost any engagement on the part of the believer with the unseen realm. So a prayer for repentance and even the giving of the tithe is spiritual warfare and and engaged on many different levels. In fact, in preparation, I found it quite difficult to find what I would categorize as a good definition for spiritual warfare. So I I made one up myself. This is gonna be the the framework that we are gonna use to articulate what uh, spiritual warfare is. We're gonna put it on the screen in case you wanna take notes or do what everyone did in the first service and take a photo, lazy people. Spiritual warfare, here we go, (laughs) is a heavenly battle with natural results. It's the process by which we get free and stay free. It illuminates the enemy's schemes and eliminates the powers of darkness over people. Spiritual warfare is the daily discipline of fortifying oneself with the full armour of God and employs prayer as a weapon to combat lies with truth, rescuing people out of death by way of life. This is the best articulation I could summarise and come up with to give us a full picture of what spiritual warfare is. It's, it's a heavenly battle. That's what it is. But it has always a manifestation in the natural realm. So even though we don't fight against flesh and blood, we see the victory here on earth. It's a, it's a process, which we're going to talk about, to get free and stay free. And really what we're going to understand is there is a huge element of truth that we're fighting for with spiritual warfare. You might want to take that down. It's going to be helpful. We're going to reference it throughout uh, this morning as we kind of lay a runway for us to lift off from. Another myth, let's keep going with the myth. Spiritual warfare needs to be loud. While, while volume is probably extremely helpful in a natural argument, it has absolutely no effect in the spiritual realm. At no time in Scripture do we find Jesus raising His voice when speaking to a demon. Actually, what we see is that Scripture reveals Jesus most of the time simply just spoke a word and demons obeyed. We see this in Matthew chapter 8, verse 16. It says, When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to Him, and He drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. I love that. Just with a word. Just with a word. In fact, the opposite is true when it comes to uh, real authority. Real authority doesn't need volume. Real authority actually commands obedience even with a whisper. This is evident when... Jesus uh, simply spoke to the wind and the waves. We see it in Mark chapter 4, verse 39. It says, He got up, He rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. I'm going to give you a whole lot of Scripture today, so you better get those pens writing, clicking and moving a lot faster. I have no time to wait for you. I will not delay. If you do not catch this, get it in revision on the podcast. He just simply spoke. Spoke a word. In the same vein, we could bust this myth that demonic deliverance has to be dramatic. I'm sure a lot of us have seen or, or experienced a dramatic demonic deliverance, maybe in your church setting before, or if not in a church setting, maybe in Hollywood, in some kind of exorcist film or something like that. You've seen or been witness to a dramatic deliverance moment. Well, the Bible, it does actually have a lot of instances of some pretty dramatic demonic activity especially even when you see what Jesus faced in the realm of the Gerasenes when He began to move in there and the demoniac came out of the the cemetery. However, spiritual warfare doesn't have to be dramatic. In fact, in most cases, 
or what you would see in a modern display of dramatic deliverance and spiritual warfare is unfortunately just a stylistic distinction of a particular minister and their their way of engaging in it more than a necessary dramatic display of demonic deliverance. In Luke 4.41, we find Jesus actually refusing to let demons put on a show. He says this, uh, uh, it says, Many were possessed by demons, in verse 41 of chapter 4 of Luke, and the demons came out at His command, shouting, You are the Son of God, but because they knew He was the Messiah, He rebuked them and refused to let them speak. He said, nope, nope, you ain't gonna do it. Ain't gonna take, take the glory, ain't gonna, because sure, sure, demons wanna be dramatic to produce fear and to get you hesitant and on the back foot. But what we see from Jesus is he exercises the authority to quieten the display. Next myth, spiritual warfare is a one and done deal. That spiritual warfare is a one time deal. One of the things we identified last week, in fact, was that Christians can be demonized through varying forms of uh, oppression, through harassment. Uh, a demonized Christian will be captivated to false teaching uh, and enslavement to sin. This is how demons, uh, demon activity, demonic activity happens in the life of even a saint, which speaks to the fact that while in Christ you have been freed from the penalty of sin and, and even the obligation to sin, however, what your freedom does not do does not remove the desires of the flesh to sin. And these desires are actually what make us susceptible to temptation. And in turn, we can actually fall prey to the enemy's plan to keep us captive. So what we find while John reminds us in John 8.36 that whomever the Son sets free is free indeed, that is a fact. At the same time, Paul, when talking to the Galatians, presents it this way. He says in Galatians 5.1, So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. What's obvious through Scripture, and I'm just trying to give us some background here to set us up, is that while Jesus won freedom for us and set us free from the weight and the penalty of sin, since we still tend to have a proclivity to sin, we find ourselves easily entangled again. I'm not teaching you anything new. You, you live this life just like me. You know exactly what it is to fall into sin. So freedom is both instantaneous and at the same time gradual in a believer's life. Now, as I revealed in the definition of spiritual warfare, spiritual warfare is a heavenly battle that has natural effect or natural results. And it's the process by way, we, by way that we get free and it's the same process and how we stay free. Paul illuminates this to it in Ephesians. Okay, Ephesians chapter six that we just read. He says this in verse 10. He says, A final word, be strong in the Lord and His mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. Verse 12, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in heavenly places. So, so what the apostle makes sure for us to locate is make sure that we locate not only where our battle happens in the heavenly realms, but make sure as believers we know who our battle is with. However, I wanna just emphasize verse 11 for you because this is gonna help us in what we're gonna unpack today. With regards to the enemy, he says, put on all of God's armour 
so that you will be able to stand firm against what? All the strategies of the devil. Okay, so we're going to get tactical. Because something we established really last Sunday, in fact, is that when it comes to demonic activity, it's better to be known than unknown. You remember that? You know, the, the demon that was attacking the sons of Sceva said, Jesus, I know. Paul, I know. Who the hell are you? I threw hell in there. Goes with the series. So we knew, we, we realised that to stay uh, uh, invisible or try and stay invisible through non-activity in the kingdom and try and fly under the radar does not remove you from attack. Like if I can just go, uh, I don't want to know about this demonic stuff. I don't know about the spiritual stuff. I'm just going to like bury my head in the sand. That doesn't actually make you impermeable to the attack. You're actually more susceptible. At the same time, being invisible doesn't work. Being ignorant doesn't work either. So while I would say it's, it's good to be known, it's also good to, to know some stuff. To know some stuff, especially when it comes to the strategies of the evil one. In fact, I like the way that Paul says it in Corinthians. Uh, the reason he wants them to be aware of demonic activity is because he says this in verse 11 of 2 Corinthians chapter 2, so that Satan will not outsmart us, for we are familiar with his evil schemes. Paul's like, man, I've seen this, I've seen this guy. I know exactly what he's going to do. And we don't want him to outsmart us. So church, listen up. Maybe we could approach spiritual warfare with that tactical response today. And maybe we could draw from the Bible uh, some things that could help us in our battle. All right? Like there's this World War II story uh, where a, a tank sergeant uh, really discovered uh, his opponent was a famous tank strategist. And he was fighting a famous, well-known tank strategist. This tank strategist and, and, and combat officer was so famous that he actually wrote a book on tank strategy. Well, the U.S., Brand new, first time being a captain in the army in the tank division, decided to read the book of the opponent. And reading the book, learnt the strategies and simply used the strategies to gain victory over the opponent. I'm here to tell you we have a book that reveals all of the strategies of the evil one. So it might be helpful if we read the book and get a little tactical in our spiritual warfare. Firstly, for starters, you ready to take some notes? All right, let's do this. Let's learn. Let's learn. Let's get tactical. Get your game faces on. Get your field notes out. We need to learn how to employ our battle uh, mindset. First thing you need to do when you're approaching spiritual warfare is get this perspective. There's a key scripture I want you to have at the top of your mind uh, as a foundation for your spiritual warfare. It's John 4.4. This is so important. You've got to frame it with this. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. This is vitally important for your understanding when approaching any spiritual activity is to know that greater is He who is with me than he that is against me. So let's get this straight. The reason we can even engage in spiritual warfare is because we have a greater power than our opponent. Satan is not the equal and opposite power to God. He's not eternal. He's not infinite in his power. If anything, Satan is the equal and opposite power of the Archangel Michael. That's the level below God. Okay. So what I'm saying is, I'm not saying the devil doesn't have any power. 
What I'm saying is you have greater power. It's not even a fair fight. You have greater power. But the devil is not a limp dog. He still bites. And unsuspecting Christians will get bit. But you have a greater power. That's my job. My job as a pastor, I'm going to equip you to do the work of the ministry and to fight off the evil hordes and extend heaven, the Garden of Eden. Amen. So, we have a greater power. Not only that, what Scripture reveals is some insights, some essentially some tools and some tactics that we can expect to encounter when we are dealing with the kingdom of darkness. So, so I hope you're ready for this. For instance, the devil works predominantly in these things called footholds and strongholds. I don't know why some of you aren't writing this stuff down. This is going to be so vitally important for you to teach your, your husband when you get home, okay? <laughs> footholds and strongholds. So you can be sure that Satan will exploit every single opportunity possible to attack the believer and gain a foothold in your life. There is no mercy on the side of the enemy when it comes to attacking your life. He will employ every single foothold possible. Ephesians 4 puts it this way in verse 25. So stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbours the truth, for we are all part of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. What Paul illuminates is there are some things that we can do in sinning that literally gives the enemy traction in our life. That's what a foothold is. Any climbers here? Anybody like to climb? Okay, one. Thank you, Tim. Uh, Tim would know. That if you want to get some traction and you want to gain some ground, you have to get a foothold. You have to get a, an area, a crevice, a crack that will give you a position to grab some traction in your life. This is what a foothold is in our life. It's an opportunity for the enemy to get a little footing to gain traction in our world. And so this is what a foothold is and what a foothold do, will do when, a, when a, a foothold is like an inroad into your life that when left unresolved becomes a stronghold fortified place for the enemy that's difficult to get away, get out of. So let me, let me do this. Let me quickly highlight three distinct strategies or footholds of the enemy that can easily become strongholds in our life. If we're going to get tactical, let's read the book. Firstly, write this down. One of the main inroads of the devil is this thing called shame. Shame. We're going to talk about shame for a second. Shame has everything to do with spiritual warfare because as we established in week one of the series, Satan is the accuser of the brethren. His aim is to persuade us that we are not who God says we are and that we're certainly not worthy of forgiveness. That's his aim. He does this through reminding us of our sin and attempting to convince us that we are worthless. This is, this is, I'm trying to give you bare naked display of the enemy's tools. This is, this is everything revealed, everything undone. He wants to convince you that you are worthless. He wants to convince you that you're not worthy of forgiveness. And shame is a very powerful emotion caused by a consciousness of guilt or failure that attacks our actual identity. And what it does is it produces actions to match. So when you see someone who's captive to shame, they're constantly apologizing for who they are and they live under a crippling fear of never being enough. That's what it looks like. Sometimes, sometimes people don't know it's shame. Maybe you don't know it's shame. Maybe you've, you've rendered it to being an introverted personality. 
I'm not saying all introverts are shameful. I'm just saying sometimes we like to diagnose it or prescribe it as something else and live with it rather than dealing with it. Because you're not meant to feel worthless. It's not of God for you to feel less than or to apologise for who you are. Sometimes people carrying shame just have this firm understanding and, and realising, I know why they got what they got because they always get it. Me, I never get anything good. Like it's that negative kind of self-talk. If you have a negative self-talk, I'm gonna guarantee you that there is shame on your life that you need to get free from. Self-abusive talk is not of God. It doesn't line up with who God called you to be. It is a product of shame. And I dare say the enemy has a foothold, at least, if not a stronghold in your life, that today we're gonna deal with. Get you free from. So shame employs guilt. Now guilt actually being the healthy response we should have when doing something wrong that causes us to run to the Father. That, that guilt reveals that we've done something wrong. That feeling should push us towards the Father. However, shame will call us to draw back, hide and isolate. Because when we go to the Father, we get forgiveness. Shame will cause us to go into fear and go into hiding and to run. It's essentially the difference between guilt and shame is the difference between making a mistake and being a mistake. That's how to define it. This can so easily become a stronghold for the enemy because... In our life, it's located in the area of identity. And its power can only be broken by really waging war against it, against those lies with the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news. So what starts out as a stronghold, or a foothold, sorry, can progress toward a stronghold when we don't allow forgiveness to reign in our life. When we don't allow forgiveness to reign in our life. Unfortunately, the solution to sin in our society, in our culture, is actually to celebrate it. That's how most people deal with sin, and is we celebrate it. Uh, we've got a culture where we brag about it. We've got a society that joins in a public parade to declare your pride in it. That is how people overcome the weight of the guilt by convincing themselves that now they identify with an entire community that participate in the same sin. That's not the biblical pathway to deal with sin. The biblical pathway to deal with sin and the shame that comes from that is not to celebrate. It's not to even deny it. It's forgiveness. It's literally to receive forgiveness from God. I'm poking things here. Let me show you some scripture. Ephesians 3.14 says this, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom this whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of His glorious riches, He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Check this out. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know His love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. I love that understanding that when you come to God, He fills you with love, that you can come to Him with forgiveness and receive grace and receive mercy. You don't need to hide away. You don't need to hide your shame. You don't need to remove yourself. Come to the Father. Come to the throne of grace. Likewise, while, the sh while shame is the 
result of not receiving forgiveness, unforgiveness towards others is just as much a tool of the enemy and a stronghold of the enemy. This is the second way the enemy uh, turns a foothold into a stronghold is through unforgiveness. Write that down, unforgiveness. This is certainly a fast way for the enemy to gain ground in the life of the believer through the willful refusal to forgive those that have hurt or harmed you. The intentional rejection of forgiving those who have hurt or harmed you. You see, instead of forgiving, we tend to nurture bitterness and we, we nurture anger and resentment toward an offender, which ultimately leads directly toward what I would call spiritual oppression, harassment, and even demonization. I'm not even being dramatic in my display of that, that when you harbor hurt and you harbor bitterness because of unforgiveness, you actually reject the forgiveness that you receive from God. Let me prove it to you. And I know it doesn't make sense, right? It doesn't really make sense. Forgiveness in the mind of, of, of human nature, it's very hard for us to wrap our mind around. It's counterintuitive because the person doesn't deserve it. A lot of times, those you have a hard time forgiving don't deserve forgiveness and you have a legitimate reason to not want to forgive them. However, this is why it's even difficult for us to understand how Jesus could forgive those who were crucifying Him while He hung on the cross. But even in the midst, not afterward, not in reflection, right in the midst of the abuse, Jesus says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. There, there was this flowing of forgiveness that Jesus had. And when you allow forgiveness to flow, even to people who have hurt you and harmed you, you are then able to receive forgiveness for, from the Father because we're recipients. We see that in Ephesians 4.32. Now, 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 while forgiving doesn't mean you forget, it also doesn't mean that you no longer have the pain of the hurt or the harm in your life. What forgiveness does is it literally frees you like keys to unlock yourself from prison. Your unforgiveness isn't binding anybody else up, it's keeping you bound up. So the only key to set yourself free is forgiveness. Let forgiveness flow. This is great stuff. This is attainable stuff. It's hard, but it's attainable. We have to deal with that. Sometimes you can't do this on your own. You have to have someone partner with you. You have to have some demonic stuff broken off your life. Don't get freaked out by that. Some of you got demons. <laughs> Don't get freaked out by that. Get free from that. Let you be like, man. I, I, I thought I thought demons were just gonna like pop at my arms and move stuff, and they're gonna control my life. No, no, they keep you captive. There is shame. Error of unforgiveness. Check out the language of 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10. It says, if you forgive anyone, I also forgive him. And what have I forgiven? If there was anything to forgive, I've forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake, for your sake, <laughs> in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not aware of his schemes, unaware of his schemes. Thirdly, we've got, we've got shame and we've got unforgiveness. The third inroad or foothold that the enemy most commonly has in the life of the believer is the area called temptation. Temptation. Go ahead and write it down. Temptation. Actually, one of the names of Satan is the tempter. And as you recall, we learned this in week one, he, he used the tool of temptation on Jesus as he spent 40 days in the wilderness. Now, while his attempts were unsuccessful on Jesus, they seemed to have a great effect in the life of the believer. <laughs> 
All the schemes and the strategies of the enemy and the evil spirits, their attempt to lead us into idolatry may well be the most, I would say, threatening to our freedom experienced by Christians. The air of temptation is very toxic in the life of a believer. Temptation put simply, let me break it down for you, is the process by which Satan appeals to our fleshly desires to deceive us into believing that the passing pleasures of sin are more satisfying than obedience to God. That's, that's the definition of temptation. That the enemy wants to use our fleshly desires to deceive us and convince us that this passing pleasure is way more satisfying than being obedient to Christ. Now Jesus was repeatedly tempted. Temptation uh, of the enemy, his tactics have levels to the ingenuity of it because temptation itself is not a sin. It's the bait. Jesus was tempted. Hebrews 2.18 says, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. However, he did not give in to temptation. So temptation is not the sin, it's what temptation produces. And what we can learn from Jesus' 40 days in the wilderness is that you can be certain that Satan tries to tempt you when you are most vulnerable. That's why, Jesus, that's why Satan came to Jesus when he was hungry. See, he said in the wilderness 40 days, literally, he says, and he was hungry. Most biggest understatement in the whole Bible. <laughs> he was hungry. Remember we did 10 day full fast at the beginning of the year? I started to dream about food. I was feeding my dogs and the kibble looked really appetizing. <laughs> this 40 days. That's when the devil came to tempt Jesus. And, and, and this is why, why the devil tempts us when our faith is not fully formed. Which is why Paul even warns Timothy in 2 Timothy to not prematurely promote a new believer because they're more susceptible to temptation and the enemy's seductive schemes. So consistently relenting to temptation is actually what gives the enemy not only a foothold, but leads to a stronghold. If the enemy tempts you, we know that God will forgive you when you fall into sin. However, when you identify the temptation of the enemy and repeatedly relent to that temptation willingly, that what starts out as a foothold for the enemy is what becomes a stronghold in your life. Most often, rendered to be an addiction or something you can't get free from. While there are many ways that we can unpack the idea of and, and the, the ways that enemy tempts us, what's even more important to know is, is how we can resist the devil when he does tempt us. Okay, so that's what I want to do. I want, I, want to, I want to tool you up. Now that we've kind of unpacked just a few of the schemes, the main ways, shame, unforgiveness, and temptation, the ways that the enemy attacks you, what I want to do is now equip you with what you have, and then we're going to pray. And I'm going to do this really fast because I want to pray. I really want to pray. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you so that you can walk out of this place with different thinking than you've ever thought before. See, freedom will bring a new revelation. When you get free, you don't look through the lens of bondage. You look through a lens of freedom. So it's like going from being colorblind to all of a sudden you put on those glasses and you see in full color. You'll be like, my God, have I missed this the whole time? That's the freedom that I want to invite you into today. All right, so Ephesians 6. This is important in the believer's world when it comes to spiritual warfare because Paul reveals here several defences and weapons. All right, several defences and weapons that we have 
to wage war against the, the aforementioned attacks from the enemy, the, the shame, unforgiveness, and temptation, right? So let me break them down quickly for you. Firstly, what Paul employs us to put on is every piece. Don't miss the language here. Put on every piece of God's armour so that you can defeat all of the strategies of the enemy. It ain't any good just putting on one piece and going, I got that. No, no, there are several pieces that Paul wants to present to us that really combat pretty much all the ways that the enemy is going to attack you. So, so let's just check it out. He says, therefore, he says it twice. This is how emphatic he is. First, in verse 10, he says, put on all the armour of God. Now in verse 13, he says, put on every piece. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armour so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you'll still be standing firm. Now he presents it with several key elements. Check this out. Verse in verse 14, he says, Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armour of God's righteousness. All right, so two pieces, the belt and, and the body armour. I mean, we could spend a whole series each on one distinct element of this, but I'm gonna like fast track it for you because we're gonna get to business. We're gonna get, we're gonna get laying hands on people. We're gonna get praying today. And I wanna make sure we get time for that. So, so we've got the belt that represents truth. Check this out. Unless you have been cryogenically frozen for the last decade, you don't have an excuse to be unaware that there is a blatant attack within our culture and our society against truth right now. Like the devil used to hide stuff, now he's just blatant. It's obvious. There, there is, there is a, 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 a truth attack going on in society. And as Christians, we are meant to love truth and hate lies. You should put that on Twitter. For you, just say it's your quote. Don't even say, Pastor Ram says, just as a Christian. That's your stuff. You're meant to love truth and really hate lies because you are a perpetuator of freedom. You're a, a proponent of freedom on the earth. As a free being, you are called the free people. Free people, free people. So your job in every setting, every sphere that you find yourself in, whether it's Sunday at church or workplace on Monday or even with your kids, when those demons are in the kids are doing stuff, set them free. You're a proponent for freedom. Okay, that's your job as a free agent in this life. However, what you're gonna see in our workplaces right now, and even especially in education systems, is we are being forced under societal and even political pressure to perpetuate lies through things like someone's preferred pronouns. Now, now I know I'm, I'm touching weird zones here for some people. Oh, oh. Hey, pastor, back off. I, I can't preach about spiritual warfare and then set you up to condone the perpetuating of lies in the spheres that you're going to find yourself in. Because you're meant to be a proponent for freedom. You're meant to love truth. And when someone wants you to refer to them with a, a pronoun or a description that is a lie, adverse to what God called them and created them to be, you are not advocating truth, you're perpetuating lies. You are literally being a proponent of the enemy to perpetuate, and, and especially as an agent of freedom, when you do it, you fortify. 
When someone who is not an agent of freedom does it, it simply neutralizes. But when you do it as an agent of freedom, you are perpetuating a lie when you are meant to bring truth. Uh, just looking for more emails this week. <laughs> I'm just preaching the truth. Let me give you the scripture. Uh, John 8. 44 says this, for you are talking to the Pharisees because the Pharisees would just spin all this crap, right? And so, and so he, he says this, for you are children of your father, the devil. This is strong language, but Jesus was very clear in what he wanted to get across. He says, you're children of your father, the devil, and you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning and he has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character for he is a liar and the father of lies. So when we lie or when we perpetuate lies or when we just consistently bystand when lies are being presented, we are playing into the language and the plan of the devil. One of the greatest ways, I know we want the spiritual warfare to be shunned in Monday, get out. We want that to be our spiritual warfare experience, but most of our spiritual warfare is in the workplace. It ain't even a Sunday. It's not even a Sunday. You're in a pretty Christian environment here. I learned this little cocoon of Christianity where we can say this stuff. But, 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 but when you face off and people are like, oh, pastor, people tell me all the time, like, but why was it hurt? If someone just wants to be called whatever, call them whatever. It's their choice. What does it matter? It matters if you love truth. It matters if you love them. Because if you love them, you want the truth to reign in their life not sit like a, a silent bystander watching them go down the path of lies. That ain't love. Love truth. Love truth. Oh, but pastor, if I love truth in my workplace, I'd lose my job. Worth it. It's easy for him to say he's a pastor. I get cancelled just like you. But I love truth so much. I can't sit, sit silently by and watch lies be perpetuated in people's lives and just sit there and not hold true. I don't need to be offensive. I don't need to be arrogant. I can use someone's name and not their preferred pronoun because I don't want to perpetuate lies in their life. I'm not going to play to that because I love the truth of God's Word. And if they're ever going to get set free, spiritual warfare is in promoting truth. Okay, move on. Likewise, you have to put on the body armour or the breastplate of righteousness. I love this one, I love this one. This is the truth and the reminder we need constantly that we're in right standing with God. That's what, that's what you put over your heart, that, that you are redeemed, that you are righteous. This is what combats the lies of the enemy that attempt to convince you that you are unworthy of the grace of Jesus Christ. Secondly, in verse 16, I'm motoring right now because we're gonna pray. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news uh, to, to, uh, so that you'll be ready and fully prepared. This talks about awareness and agility, uh, that, that as a com combat warrior, what you need is at all times you need to be calm, you need to be alert, and you need to be ready. Anybody ever do Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts? Probably did the same thing. That there was, you know, be prepared. That was the Boy Scout motto, be prepared. Was it three? I don't know. But we, I did the Christian version called Royal Rangers, okay? And we kind of jacked their saying, instead of be prepared, ours was be ready. 
clever. Um, but it was be ready, be ready for anything, be ready to work, play, serve, obey, worship and live. Got drummed into us that we were militant little kids and we were ready to fight the battle. We were ready in season, out of season, girded with the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. Shoes of peace ready. First Peter 5, 8. Be self-controlled and alert. Good instruction, Peter. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. I love it. Resist Him. Standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. You ain't in this alone. We're fighting together, church. Thirdly, He says this in verse 16, in addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Our faith in God and His ability to deliver us is, is literally our weapon against the deception and the disappointments and the betrayal of others. Paul instructs you to hold it up to elevate your faith, to lift it. Even when you, you're finding it hard to forgive someone, I don't feel like forgiving. We're not called to live by feelings, we're called to live by faith. So lift your shield. This means we elevate faith over doubt and over disbelief and over the constant thoughts trying to penetrate our minds. This is why He instructs us in verse 17, put on salvation as your helmet. Put on salvation and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. There is hardly anything more effective against the lies of the enemy than the constant reminder that you are saved by grace. With salvation comes great victory in Christ Jesus. Not only does Paul talk, tell us to take captive every thought in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, I don't have time to read it, but you can write it down. He also says in Romans 12, 2, that we, we need to renew our mind. And in Colossians chapter 3, verse 2, he says, we're to set our mind on things above, not things that are on earth to take captive those thoughts and control your mind. That's the, that's the helmet of salvation. Likewise, we've got the sword of the Spirit. The sword, which if you drop the S is the Word. It's the Word of God. It's what the sword is. It's, it's used to divide and to separate and to conquer and to slay. It's a weapon. It's how Jesus combated the devil and temptation was with the Word of God. They didn't fight temptation with philosophy or uh, happy thoughts. No, no, He went to the Word of God. He went straight to the Word of God and, and brought the Word of God. So, so this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna pray, stand to your feet. I'm gonna pray. Because I didn't wanna just give you the schemes. I wanted to give you the tools. Now I wanna give you an opportunity to get free, to, to, to maybe do business with God that there has been some latent stuff that you haven't even been aware of. I am so convinced not many, not many believers are, are very clear on the areas that you're held back. You've blamed it to a personality or you've categorised it as something other than what it is. And that's one of the enemy's schemes is to subdue you and to nullify your thoughts so that you think I'm good. But the reality is if you were to search your heart and go, maybe there's some shame I've been carrying. I wanna get free from that. Maybe I have made excuses for my life and my personality. Maybe I've seen myself not worthy of what other people get. You gotta deal with that shame so that you can walk in the righteousness of Christ, that you can walk with the identity that God has called you. Maybe it's unforgiveness. Maybe it's a parent, maybe it's a loved one, maybe it was an offence that was done to you some point in life and the reason you don't wanna forgive them is valid. Maybe the pain is real. However, you're not locking them up, you are locked up. The Bible's pretty clear that the forgiveness that flows from the Father is hinged on you being able to let forgiveness flow. There's a parable where Solomon couldn't forgive. No, no, there was like someone who came to Solomon and they owed money, but the king 
forgave them, but they went straight out and held someone to a smaller value. That's what we do. We get this forgiveness from God, but we hold somebody to the herd. You need to get free from that. Otherwise, what's a foothold becomes a stronghold in your life and you'll find yourself bitter and broken. Never being able to love people because you've got so much bitterness in your heart. And the third one is temptation. I wanna break that off. Those that find themselves keep relenting to an error of the flesh, a thought life, a pattern, a habit that maybe you've convinced yourself, I'm addicted to this. There's no break in this. That is literally a stronghold. But the good news is you can get free in Christ Jesus. You do not have to relent any longer to that pattern with the, with the power of God, not the power of your will, not the power of your, your self-help books, but by the power of the living God, you can get free today. So we're gonna do something. Those three areas, we're gonna tactical, we're gonna pray against those things, we're gonna get some people free. In a moment, I'm gonna open up the altar for literally everybody in here to find their way to the altar if you wanna get free today and get prayer. I'm gonna pray for you. I am very tempted to put myself on the altar. As I've been studying this and praying for this, I have done so many times, God, forgive me of this. God, I repent. God, I receive your forgiveness. I have been putting myself on the altar all week long so that we could lead you into freedom today. And I'm not gonna be dramatic. I try to do this non-emotive today so that I can just present the truth. The freedom is yours but you gotta get it, you gotta get it. So if you wanna get prayer, just come out front and I'm gonna pray for you. So just make your way out of your seat, come and stand down the front and I'm gonna pray for you. Yeah, just come, just come, just come, just come, just come, just come. Just come real quick, real, real quick. Just come real quick, yeah, come right up, come right up. Pastors, come out the front so you can pray. Pastors, get out the front, pastors, come out here and face them. Come, 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 come. Come, push right in, push right in. Pastors are gonna come stand down the front, push right in. Fill up every gap, fill up every gap, because we're gonna pray together. I wanna make sure I get everybody. And this is gonna be, this is gonna be a freedom moment. Push right in, push right in, push right in. Keep coming, keep coming. There's more people coming. We're gonna, we're gonna do this all together. And we are gonna lay hands on you. The Apostle Paul says, do not neglect the laying on of hands. We've got pastors down here. They're gonna lay hands on you. I'm gonna pray corporately over you. And then I'm gonna come down. We're gonna lay hands on people as well because I feel the oil of anointing to break yokes. That's what the anointing does. The anointing breaks a yoke of bondage that we carry. And you can't get it through just self-help. It's gotta be the anointing of God to break something off. So we're gonna pray. If I lift your hands to heaven, let's go. God right now, I pray over each person that has responded, each person that has stepped out and stepped towards You. God, I pray right now, Lord, that freedom would be theirs in the mighty Name of Jesus. We rebuke the devil. We rebuke and we break off every foul and unclean spirit every spirit that is against the work of Jesus Christ, every thought, every pretension that has set itself up against the knowledge and the truth of God. We break it right now in the presence of the living God. God, we pray right now, Lord, for those that have been carrying shame. God, we break shame off their life right now. God, we rebuke it and we call into alignment their picture and their identity in Christ to be aligned with heaven. 
Lord, we call it into alignment. We call it into authority. Lord, we pray that their head would be lifted high. Lord, that their shoulders would be set back, that their stature would be one of those in Christ Jesus. Know that they are made under the great high King and called according to His purpose for them. God, we pray over shame. Be gone in the Name of Jesus. Let freedom reign. Let the truth of the Gospel rule and reign in their heart. God, we pray for those who have been held up in unforgiveness, unable to forgive. God, I pray a release right now. As they have get the revelation that they have been forgiven, I pray a release of forgiveness to flow through their life toward parents, towards uncles, towards family members, towards employees, towards pastors, towards people in the church and people out of the church. Lord, to correction officers, Lord, to the police, to law enforcement. God, I pray that offences and hurts that are real and valid, Lord, would they be free right now to forgive? Would they unlock their own prison right now? If it's unforgiveness, just under your breath, I'm gonna implore you to Speak the name of the person you're choosing to forgive right now. This is gonna be difficult, but I believe that as you can profess that name and say, God, I forgive them, watch as the freedom is gonna, your prison door is gonna fling right open. Your prison door is gonna bust. Maybe you've got several people to forgive, but stop holding on to that and harbouring that bitterness. In the name of Jesus, I empower you by the Holy Spirit and by faith to forgive that person. Get yourself free right now. Chains will fall off your life the area of temptation. The area of temptation, we're gonna combat lies with truth right now. For those that have struggled under the weight of the flesh and the proclivities of the flesh, where there have been patterns and habits that have formed in your life that seem to control your thoughts in the quiet spaces, in the times where you left your own device, this is the moment where instead of just trying to convince yourself, I'll do better, get free in Christ Jesus with the power of God. So I'm gonna pray right now. God, right now we, we know the enemy's plan. We've seen it plainly. And so God, plainly right now, we pray for power and strength to resist the devil, we put on the full armour of God. We lift up our shield. Lord, we put on the helmet of salvation and we guide ourselves with the belt of truth. Lord, we play, apply all the weapons and the tools and the tactics of heaven to combat the lies and the temptation of, of the devil and the enemy. God, right now we apply the power of God and the desire to be obedient to the laws of Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray right now the very power of heaven into each and every person, those that have struggled, those that have considered this is an addiction. We break the powers of addiction. We break the chains. Hey, I hope you were blessed by that message. We release new content every single week here at Vive Church. And so if you don't wanna miss any of it, I would encourage you, go ahead and subscribe. Also visit our website, vivechurch.org to stay up to date with everything that's happening in the life of Vive Church. God bless you.